This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Uh, We are in this brand new series, Staying in Love. And here's what I want you to do for me. Pull out your teaching notes. By the way, you're going to fill out that Connect card uh, with your information because later we're going to be doing some stuff with that. So as I teach, you know, when you you have a spare second, just go ahead and uh, fill that out. Here's what I want you to do. Take your hands. Uh, just like this, don't hit the person next to you, but take your hands, get them up in the air, and I want you just to fold them. Fold your hands. Everybody's hands folded. Keep them folded. All right, now I want you to open your hands up again and fold them, but this time put the other thumb over the top. Feels a little weird, doesn't it? Feels a little awkward. Feels a little uncomfortable. That's not the way that we do things. Hold them there for a minute. Because this series is that we're talking about is all about staying in love. And, and last week... Uh, we saw Jesus say that if we want to stay in love, we need to make love a verb. We need to put love into action. We need to do things uh, that are loving towards our significant other. And then Paul put teeth to it, Ephesians 5, and he said this, basically. He said, listen, when your significant other walks into the room, they're the most important person in the room. Every time, all the time, 24-7. And so I encouraged you, make love a verb last week, and let's continue to do that. But for some of you, this was new. And for some of you, it was uncomfortable. It was like folding your hands over with the wrong thumb on top. Why? Not because it was wrong, but because for years we haven't been doing it. And so now we started to do it. And maybe your significant other, your spouse, your fiance, your boyfriend or girlfriend didn't respond the way you thought they would, or they didn't notice as much as you hoped they would. And it felt a little uncomfortable. It felt a little odd. And you were tempted to unclasp your hands and stop making love a verb. And I want to encourage you, I've been doing this all weekend long, and actually it's becoming very normal for me now. If you do it long enough, if you make it a habit, this will become normal. Making love a verb will become normal, and you will find your relationship growing to new depths of intimacy, new romance. You'll have your husband or wife just running out and kissing you for no particular reason. (laughs) But it's going to take practice. All right, you can unclasp your hands. But when it gets difficult— Put your hands back together. And remember, this is something that's going to take time. Don't give up on making love a verb. So we talked about the general idea of putting love into action last week. And I told you for the next three weeks, we're going to get very specific uh, about what it looks like to make love a verb. Today, we're going to talk about cheating. See, cheating gets a bad rap, especially when it comes to relationships, because we cheat in all the wrong ways. We cheat with all the wrong people. We cheat at all the wrong times. But And this is on your teaching notes. But cheating in the right way can make all the difference in your relationship. You just got to know how to cheat, when to cheat, who to cheat with, and who to cheat on. Cheating in the right way, for some of you, will make the difference between having a relationship that grows in love and intimacy and having a relationship that ends in disaster. So last week was nice. We talked about making love a verb. It was this general thing. I just said, kind of go out and do whatever you have to do. For the next three three weeks, I'm going to start meddling a little bit. I'm going to start pushing a little bit. It's going to maybe sting a little bit. And here's why I'm going to do it. Because your relationship is that important to God. And because your success in your relationship is that important to me. Because I know God wants incredible things for you. So we're going to talk about cheating. Cheating in the right way at the right time with the right person. In the Old Testament, uh, there's a book of the Bible called Daniel. And in Daniel, we find a man who knew how to cheat. 
He knew how to cheat at the right time in the right way to make it work. Here's the backstory. In 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the crown prince at the time uh, of a neighboring nation, he started this campaign to take over various people groups, various countries. And he took a siege on Jerusalem. He took over Jerusalem and he took away uh, the majority of their young men. Their, their nobles, their royals, he took them away. And the goal was to train them up in the way of the king and then to release them back into the world as servants of their new master, of their new king. Basically to take their culture, eradicate it, give them a new culture. And so this is what he does uh, with four guys. And you've probably heard of these four guys before. Uh, Daniel, who is the lion's den guy. If you uh, remember the flannel graph when you were a little kid, Daniel was a lion's den. And then uh, three other guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, they're the guys with the fire. We're not going to talk about all that today, but just so you know, these are the four guys. And they've got some different names in here. We go back and forth on the names, but these are the four we're talking about. Specifically, we're going to talk about Daniel, because Daniel's a man who knew how to cheat. So we're going to pick up in um, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. And here's what it says. The king ordered Asphanaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths who were, in whom there was no defect. They were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge. They had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered the official to teach these men the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration of the king's choice food and from the wine which he himself drank, and appointed that they should be educated for three years. At the end of this time, they were going to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah. There was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel he called uh, Belshazzar. Wow, I practiced that all weekend. Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So Daniel's this guy in his mid-teens. His hormones are raging. He's got, uh, you know, all the teen angst that a regular teenager has. And on top of that, now he's got this identity crisis because he's been taken from his homeland, from his culture, from his family, and he's been uh, given a new name, He's being forced to read this new literature, and he's got a new culture. They probably pierced his ear because he's now a servant or a slave of the king, so he's got a piercing. Uh, He had these new clothes, and he went along with all these things for a certain amount of time. But then when it got to food, when they said, you have to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine, he said, you know what? Enough is enough. And here's why he did it. See, food in that time uh, would first be sacrificed to an idol, a lowercase g, God, whoever the king served, or the multitude of gods that the king served. And then after it was sacrificed to the idol, the the food would be cooked and given to the king and given to his servants. And then as someone raised up to power, grew in intelligence, uh, grew in stature, what the people believed was that uh, his strength, his wisdom, his knowledge all came from the idol that the food was sacrificed to. So for Daniel, this was a big deal because for Daniel, this meant that as he grew in stature, as he grew in wisdom, as he grew in power, this other God would be getting the glory and his God would not be getting the glory. And so he's faced with a decision. Is he going to honor God and cheat the king? Remember, he's a king's slave. He's a king's servant. By all rights, he has to do what the king says. Is he going to honor God 
and cheat the king, hope that the king is gracious and forgives him and kind of lets this slide, or is he going to honor the king and cheat God and hope that God is gracious and kind and slow to anger and will forgive him and will let this thing slide? And I want to ask us to really wrestle with this question. What would you do if you were in Daniel's situation? Would you honor God? Because the truth is the king could kill him for not doing what the king said to do. Would you honor God and deal with those consequences, not knowing the outcome? Or would you honor the king? Because the truth is, if you honor the king, chances are God's not going to strike you dead on the, on the point. Chances are you might not actually ever see God do anything in retribution for the choice you made. Which one would you deal with? Because you and I are faced with that decision every day. And it's not about food. Which food are we going to eat? Or whether or not we're going to honor a king over God. Here's the question that we are faced with. Here's the dilemma that we're faced with. Who am I going to honor with my time? Who's going to get my time? Because the truth is there's more to do in a 24-hour period of time than there is time to do it. Are we going to honor our Heavenly Father with our time and the way we spend it? Or are we going to honor something else? Because we've got to cheat someone. We've got to cheat somewhere. I want to tell some of you some good news. Some of you think uh, that the reason you can't get everything done in the day is you're just not a good enough planner, or you're not a good enough organizer, or you don't have things set well enough. And while all of those things could probably help you become a more uh, productive person, that, in my opinion, is not the reason why you aren't getting everything done in your day. The reason why you're not getting everything done in your day is there's simply just too much to do in any given day for you to do everything perfectly. And so we're faced with a question when it comes to time. Who are we going to honor? Are we going to honor our work? Are we going to honor our boss? Are we going to honor our hobbies? Are we going to honor our, our sports or our leisure activities? Or are we going to honor our family? Are we going to honor our marriage? Who, the other way to ask is, who are we going to cheat? Let's be honest about it. If uh, you took a calendar for the day and you wrote down everything you had to get done in one 24-hour period, and think about this. If you did everything for your job that you needed to do, followed up on every lead, made every phone call, got ahead for the week, uh, got everything done, answered every email, met with every kid in your classroom personally, and then you went home and you played with each of your kids until they said, you know what, mom, or you know what, dad, I just, my love tank is too full. I, I have had too much playing. You know, I, I cannot take any more love. Please just go spend some time by yourself, dad, for a while. Because I have had just so much. And then you give your wife or your husband all the love that they need. And then you add in things like spending time with the Lord every day because of the great love he pours out on you. Uh, doing something for yourself, getting somewhat proficient at a sport, golf, or some other thing that you like to do. The truth is there's not enough time in the day. Even if we gave you 30 hours, there wouldn't be enough time. Someone is getting cheated every day. But we don't look at it. We just don't think about it. But the reality is someone's getting cheated. Everyone cheats. Everyone cheats. The question is, who are you going to cheat on? Who are you going to cheat with? Or what are you going to cheat on? And what are you going to cheat with? And I want to ask you just to be thinking about this as I talk this morning. In your life, in your circumstances, in your schedule, who are you cheating? Or how about this? Who feels cheated by you? 
If we were to ask those closest to you, who would say, you know what, I feel like a time that, that's rightfully mine, that they should be giving to me, is being given somewhere else? Is there anyone in your life like that? Does your significant other feel that way? Does your spouse feel that way? Who feels cheated? And here's my prediction. It's not your boss. Your boss does not feel cheated by you, for most of you. Your work does not feel cheated by you, for most of you. If you're a stay-at-home mom, here's my prediction to you. Your kids do not feel cheated by you. The house does not feel cheated by you. But could there be someone who does feel cheated today? If there is, it's going to draw a wedge in your marriage. But God wants intimacy. See, time communicates value. And anytime we aren't giving our time to the person we say we love the most, what we're communicating to them is, I value this thing over here more than I value you. I value work more than I value you. I value the person on the other end of that phone more than I value you. I value uh, my app on my phone more than I value you. I value TV more than I value you. How about this? I value our kids more than I value you. See, time communicates value. And so we're going to talk about time today. I told you I was going to poke a little bit. I'm poking so that you don't have to poke your spouse, okay? I'm going to poke them for you. So don't do this. That's not the goal. And don't worry, some of you who are looking at me like, why isn't my wife or my husband here? We've got a second service at 11 o'clock. Just get them on the phone. Say, man, Pastor Kevin's on fire today. You've got to hear this. For me, it's real. this is a tension for me because uh, I'm doing what I feel called to do. And so when I wrestle with time and work, I'm not just wrestling with a job and a paycheck. I'm wrestling with God's calling on my life. And how much time I focus in this area in the calling, or how much time I focus on this area in my marriage, which is another calling in my life. This is a tension. This is something we're going to wrestle with. It's not something we're going to answer. It's something we're going to wrestle with. Because here's what happens. When you uh, tell someone that your time is more valuable in this thing than you do with them, here's what you're doing. It's like uh, if you gave me this rock, and you said, Kevin, uh, I want you to hold this rock for an indefinite period of time. Just hold on to it, and someday I'm going to come back and I'm going to take it from you. I would say to you, okay, I'll hold this rock for you because I appreciate you. I like you. I want to do this thing for you. I'm mentally prepared to hold this rock for you. But let's say 15 minutes goes by. This rock starts to get a little bit heavy. And then an hour goes by, and this rock's feeling a little heavier. And then two hours go by, and three hours go by, and five hours go by, and you never come back. Or maybe you swing by and you say, hey, Kevin, you're doing a great job holding that rock. I just got to run to Starbucks. I'll be back in a little bit. And then another hour goes by. Eventually, eventually, you're going to hear the rock drop. I wouldn't do that because the staging people would get so mad at me. But you're going to hear the rock drop. Why? Not because I don't care about you. Not because I'm not mentally willing to hold the rock for you, but because my physical weakness just can't hold the rock forever. And when the rock drops and you hear the bang, here's what you would do. You would run in and you would say, Kevin, how did the rock drop? You'd focus on the rock dropping. Kevin, what happened? I thought you were holding the rock and all of a sudden the rock dropped. And here's what I'd say to you. Listen, the rock didn't just drop all of a sudden. It was something that began to weigh over time and it felt bigger and heavier as time went on. And eventually, even though I wanted to hold the rock, I just couldn't hold the rock anymore. And the rock just dropped. And this is what we do with our time, with the people we love. We say, honey, listen, hold on to the rock. Vacation is coming. Listen, 
Kids, daddy's going to be home for dinner on time someday. Just hold on to that rock a little bit longer. Maybe we say to our husband, listen, I'm going to be done carting the kids around when they graduate from high school and turn 18. Just hold on to that rock a little bit, a little bit longer. And then once they're out of the house, my time's going to be back focused on you. And we ask our spouse to hold on to the rock, and they want to hold on to the rock. They're willing to hold on to the rock. But eventually, their mental willingness gives way to their emotional weakness, and the rock drops. And when the rock drops and the rock falls, usually the rock breaks. And here's what it sounds like when people come into my office. It sounds like this. Pastor Kevin, I don't know what happened. Everything was fine. And then one day she just came in and said she was leaving. She'd had enough. She couldn't do it anymore. And, and, you know, yeah, I've been working a little bit later. Yeah, I've been focusing on these other things. But everything seemed good. The kids were doing okay. The house was clean when I came home. Everything seemed fine. Then all of a sudden, she just, she, she just said she was gone. And the rock dropped, and it broke. And all I can see is the rock. But the truth is, she has been holding that rock for way too long. And it just got too heavy. Or how about this? Kevin, I don't know what happens. The kids finally left for college. And I turned my attention back to my husband. I gave him the time he needed. And he said to me, I don't feel like I know you anymore. And I don't know if I love you anymore. You just feel like a roommate to me. And my heart was broken. And I don't know what happened. Yeah, yeah, I carted him everywhere and I did everything for him. But that's because I love my kids. Who doesn't love their kids? And all of a sudden, the kids left and I was ready for him. And he said he wasn't ready for me anymore. And the truth is, he'd been holding the rock for a long time. And he'd been playing second fiddle to soccer and baseball, and lacrosse, and all of a sudden the rock fell. Rocks don't just fall all of a sudden. Rocks get heavy over time. And then eventually they fall, and they shatter. And we all scramble to pick up the pieces, but the truth is some pieces just can't be put back together. And God wants better for us than that. So I want to talk to the guys for a minute. So ladies, you can just take notes so you can go when you get home and lay into them. No, because then I'm going to talk to you next, ladies. So just beware. I'm going to poke a little bit. Guys, we cheat. The number one place we cheat, we cheat at work. Why? Because we are project-driven. We like to see things get done. There's an outcome at work. So we cheat on our spouse with our job. And we do it for a few reasons. Uh, we do it because our, rock, our, our rocks, our wives, are incredible... <laughs> Rock handlers. Our wives are incredible rock handlers. Our wives are so good at holding rocks that they can juggle multiple rocks at one time. They've always got rocks juggling back and forth. And so we cheat at work because they can handle it. The house, the kids, their job, their dreams, their hopes. They can handle all that. And so we go to work and we cheat there because work needs us. But maybe our house doesn't need us. At least that's what we think. Guys, some of us, we cheat on our wife with our work because, let's be honest, our home life just isn't that great right now. Guys, don't you find that it's easier to work a little late when things aren't so great at home? Because at work, everybody appreciates you. Because at work, you're the boss. Because at work, when you tell someone to sit down, they listen. And at home, when you tell someone to sit down, they just keep on playing. (laughs) Reference to your kids, not your wife. And we cheat on our marriage with our work because there aren't any immediate consequences. Because she's doing such a good job of holding the rock. 
But at the end of the day, I want to ask you, who are you going home to? At the end of your career, let's say you stay in the same job for 40 years and you retire, and unless your boss is your wife, who are you going to be sleeping next to at the end of your work? Not your boss. It better not be your boss. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> let's be honest, guys. We are two or three big mistakes away from getting fired from our jobs. So why are we so loyal to work at the expense of our marriage and of our kids? Because if we got fired from our job, who would we go back to? Our wife and our kids. We need to learn how to cheat at work so we can be more present at home. Now, ladies, I want to talk to you for a second. Uh, I'm not going to stand up here and say no woman should ever work. Uh, My wife works. We live in Sonoma County. Sometimes it's hard not to work. Um, But I, I will say this, ladies. Some of you are cheating your husbands and your kids for the same reason your husband cheats with work. And some of you might need to scale back at work to be more present with your husband or more present with your kids. And that might mean that your budget needs to change. That might mean the vacations need to be a little bit less. But I want to tell you, your relationship will be stronger for it. And I'm going to end by picking on stay-at-home moms for a second. You don't cheat at work, but maybe you cheat on your husband with your house or your projects. Because you've always got something. The house needs to be perfect. Everything needs to be just right. And so when your husband comes home, he feels more like uh, the super than he does the person you love. Or maybe you cheat on your husband with your kids if you're a stay-at-home mom. Because they are your everything. They are your work. They are your vision. They are your hope. They are your dream. And I want to tell you, moms and dads, if it comes between cheating on your kids or cheating on your husband or cheating on your wife, cheat on your kids every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And cheat with your husband or your wife because the greatest gift you can give to your kids is a healthy marriage. It's a loving marriage. It's a mom and dad who are intimately connected with each other. And I don't care how good of a parent you are, if you fail there, it's going to hurt your kids. So cheat on your kids with your husband. Don't cheat on your husband with your kids. One, it sounds gross, and two, it's not healthy. So don't do it. I want to ask you to be brave and ask this question when you get home. To those closest to you, ask this question. Do you feel like I'm cheating on you? And then just sit and wait. If you're single and you have kids, ask your kids that question. Do you feel like I'm cheating on you? If you're single without kids, ask your friends that question. Do you feel like I'm cheating on you? Because let's be honest, the habits you set now are the habits you'll take into marriage. And if you're married, I want you to ask your husband or wife that question. Do you feel like I'm cheating on you? And then don't get defensive when they answer. But if the answer is yes, listen up. Because Daniel does three things when he decides to cheat. So listen up, because this can make all the difference in your marriage. Verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. The first thing Daniel did when he realized he was faced with a choice is he made up his mind to stop cheating. And we know the end of the story. 
But he didn't know the end of the story. He made up his mind to stop cheating before he knew the outcome. Before he knew if it would cost him his life. He said, I'm going to honor God, not the king. And I want to tell you guys and you gals this today. Before you know if it'll cost you your job. Before you know if it'll cost you your hobby. Before you know how the outcome will be for your kids. Would you choose today to stop cheating your spouse? And then deal with the outcome on the back end. My first year of marriage, I was faced with this situation. We'd been married for nine months, and I realized that the, la- the second half of that, the last four months of that nine months, I was working 120 days with five days off. First year of marriage, I'd worked 120 days and taken five days off. I was cheating on my wife for the sake of my ministry, which I am passionate about, which God called me to, but I decided on that day it was going to stop. And I want to tell you, uh, both because of the decision I made and because of the immaturity with which I communicated that decision, it almost cost me my job. It almost cost me my job. But I decided at that point, you know what? My marriage is not going to be that marriage where I work 120 days with five days off. I'm going to cheat on my work. Even though my work is ministry, I'm going to cheat on my work with my wife. Verse 9 says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander and the officials. So Daniel decided to stop cheating, and then Daniel trusted the now God factor. Here's the now God factor. When we set up our lives the way God wants us to set them up, God moves. When we order our lives the way God wants us to order them, God works. We're in the middle of this two-year initiative that we're calling the Take Hold Initiative, and here's what it basically means. It is, I'm going to do the things God says to do, and I'm going to experience the life that God promises. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to experience it. I'm going to love God, and I'm going to experience his love poured out in my life. When we do the things God says to do, we experience the now God factor in our lives. So like I said, I, uh, I went to my boss and said, hey, I'm done working this much. It's killing me. It's already hurting my marriage. Uh, I'm just not, I'm not going to do it anymore. We've got to figure out a different way. I believe in this ministry. I want to be part of it. I was doing a college ministry at Sonoma State at that point. Uh, and it was this organization that had college ministry on like 500 campuses across the nation. And we were one of the campuses. I said, I'm going to stop doing that. And that was the point that the now God factor kicked in. I didn't become any better at ministry or any more talents. I didn't schedule my time necessarily, structure it a whole lot differently. But from that point on, our ministry became the fastest growing ministry in the nation. Of those 500 campuses, ours became the fastest growing ministry. We had the most people come to faith in Jesus Christ of any campus in the nation my last year in that ministry, not because of me, but because of the now God factor. I was working less. God was doing more. I was focusing at home. God was focusing at my work. I was saying, God, instead of saying, God, would you fill in the space where I'm not at home? I was saying, God, would you fill in the space when I'm not at work? Would you do that in a supernatural way? And I'll fill in the space at home. And God honored it. Now, God What's the now God factor that you need to believe that God can move? Is it something with your work? Is it something with home? Is it something in your family? What's the now God factor that you're going to look for? Because I want to ask you to commit to doing it and then do the now God factor. And here's how the story ends. See, Daniel at the end of it put God to the test. Verse 10 says this. The commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. 
Why should he see your face looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said this, Would you test your servants for ten days? And let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in the presence of Uh, in your presence, and the appearance of the youths who have eaten the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So the commander listened to them in the matter, and he tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the other youths. That's sad for all of you who want to do a vegetarian diet, right? They got fatter than all the other youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Verse 16, So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine, Uh, that they were to drink, and he kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified and presented them, the commander of the officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of all of them, no one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the king's personal service. So Daniel chooses to cheat. He waits for the now God factor, and he puts God to the test. And God comes through. And I want to ask you, why not put God to the test? Why not decide today? If your spouse tells you, yeah, I do feel like you're cheating on me with work or with this or with that, why not decide today, I'm going to stop cheating on you, and I'm going to start cheating with you? I'm going to start cheating on that thing that's taking me away from you. Why not put God to the test? Why not give him a month? What if he took 30 days and cheated at work? and said, I'm not going to work a ton of overtime. I'm not going to work extra hours. I'm going to go into my boss tomorrow, and I'm going to say, listen, this is the situation. Would you test me for 30 days working on this schedule? And at the end of that 30 days, let's evaluate the quality of my work and the output of my work. And if it's as good or better, I want to keep this schedule. And if it's gone down, we'll go back to your way. Why not trust God for the now God factor? Why not focus on the priorities God wants and let him take care of the other stuff? Some of us need to decide today that we're going to go tell our boss tomorrow. And by the way, um, speaking from experience of someone who's gone to his boss, have a plan and don't demand it. Say, I would like to do this and have a plan. So you don't get fired like I almost got fired. Because I'm guessing if you're not in ministry and you do that wrong. But before you know the outcome, before you know the outcome, and I know it's scary, would you choose not to cheat? Would you choose to put your wife first or your husband first? If you want to grow in love, if you want to stay in love, that's got to be key. Once we get our priorities straight, our marriages win. When we get our priorities straight, our families win. And can we be honest? When we get our priorities straight, our work wins. Because if you're happy in your marriage and you're happy at home, you're going to be better in the office. You're going to be happier and more fun to be around in the office. And your work is going to be better. And your output is going to be better. And when you're sour at home and things are bad at home and you go with a bad attitude to work, it flavors how you do your work. So the truth is, your boss will be blessed because you chose to cheat a little bit at work so you could do some work at home, and your wife or your husband or your kids will be blessed because you'll be taking this big rock out of their hands that they've been holding for way too long. 
Where are you cheating? Because everyone cheats. Who are you cheating? Who feels cheated? Would you be brave enough to ask those questions to the people closest to you today? Let's pray. Lord, would you sink this deep into the hearts of those of us who need to hear this today? Would you bring conviction? Would you do it in a way that we can hear it and respond to it and not be closed off to you? Would you give us the courage and the strength to stop cheating on our husband or wife or significant other or kids and start cheating in the places that are less essential? And God, we look for the now God factor. We look for you to move and you to work in incredible ways. Would you give us the strength for those of us who need to take this test to take the 30-day challenge, to stop cheating at work or stop cheating with our outside activities and start giving that time to the people closest to us? God, would you bless that? Would you give uh, each of the people who are going to have conversations this afternoon uh, the grace to hear if they have been cheating? Would you help those conversations to not be major fights, but simply to be a stepping stone to draw marriages and relationships closer together? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to give you a few ways to put this into practice. So pull out your Connect cards if you would. Uh, and you'll see them right there at the bottom. The first is, would you ask your significant other if they feel cheated? Would you ask your kids if they feel cheated? If you're going to do that, mark your card because I want and need to pray for you. Uh, because that conversation can go sideways real quick if God's not involved in it. So mark that down your card so we can be praying for you. And those of you who know you need to take this 30-day challenge and start cheating somewhere, would you mark that down so I can be praying for you as well, so we can be praying for you? Uh, by the way, everything I talked about today came from an incredible book that I read called Choosing to Cheat by a guy named Andy Stanley. So if you want more information on that, I mean, everything you heard today came from this book. It's a quick read. It took me an hour and a half to read it. So good. So good. So I put that information at the bottom of your teaching notes. You can uh, go ahead and take that home and buy the book if you want. It's a really, really good book. Uh, we are going to be receiving the offering in just a second. So if you came prepared to give, you can go ahead and get the envelope out of your program and drop your tithes or your offerings right there inside that envelope and drop it in the basket when it comes around. We're also going to be receiving uh, these Connect cards. So fill out everything you got to fill out. Find your life group. Put down prayer requests. Put down answered prayers. We want to know what's going on in your life. We want to be praying for you. Make sure you've got your card filled out uh, so that we can actually connect with you and get back to you if you have questions for us. Each week we get to pray for a different church in Petaluma, and today we're going to pray for uh, a church startup called The Vine. And we're really excited about them, uh, about what they're doing in the city, and so I want to pray a blessing over them. And then we'll be re receiving the offering, receiving the tithes, and you'll be dropping those Connect cards in in just a second. So join me as we pray. Lord, we pray for the Vine Church today as they start up. We pray for Pastor Dave. We pray for the whole team uh, that you would continue to move in their community as they take this risk, as they start something new, as they, they step out in faith to follow you. Would you bless them? Would you bless them even as they meet right now, uh, Lord, with an increased impact for this community? Would you use uh, today's message and everything that they're doing to draw people close to you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.